Welcome back to Talent Hub Talk. I'm delighted to be joined by Eduardo Ferrao. Eduardo is a senior Salesforce healthcare consultant and has an incredible story. From working as a pediatric ICU nurse to now delivering Salesforce Health Cloud transformations. It was fascinating to hear more about Eduardo and his journey. And I really think you are going to enjoy this chat. Eduardo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. No, my, my pleasure. We, we spoke recently and I was fascinated with your background. And, um, and yeah, I wanted to share it with our audience because I think a lot of people look to transition into the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, and a lot of people are looking to transition right now. And I think a lot of people can listen to your story and, and take a lot of encouragement. And yeah, really see that there are options out there. And, and it's not about stepping away necessarily from what you know. It's about utilizing the knowledge that you have to reinvent yourself into a new career. And uh, yeah, really keen to unpack that. But let's start at the beginning. So tell me a bit about your early career aspirations, education, uh, how your career really got started. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And I think I wish I'd seen a talk like this when I was considering my next career moves back in the day. But uh, yeah, just to talk a bit about myself, I guess, look, my, I trained as a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. By trade, and I still introduce myself as a nurse, even though uh, I haven't nursed for ten years now. I always wanted the, it's a bit corny and cliche, but always wanted to work in healthcare. Something about helping other people and caring for people always appealed to me. Like as far as I can remember, I could see myself working in healthcare. When I finished high school, studied nursing back home. I'm Portuguese, so I studied in Lisboa. And nursing is like any healthcare profession, very different in what you can do. There's lots of variety, right? You can be a community nurse, you can work in a hospital. So as I was studying, I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do, like in which setting I wanted to work until I worked in an intensive care unit. That was my final placement. So yeah, as a young 20 year old, not knowing anything, landed in a in an ICU in Lisboa uh, that was a heart and, it still is a heart and lung center. And I just loved it. That's where I started my career. And I've always was an ICU nurse, and that's what I did for most of my nursing career. And because I was young and had time at the same time as I was nursing back home, I was also nursing in the Lisbon airport. And this is just a little fun fact, but I don't think I'll ever have another job as cool as that one. So I have to mention it because yeah, I was in an ambulance on the runway We because the airport wasn't equipped with a full medical team. There was one nurse on shift for the whole airport and we were the highest health authority in the airport. And then we had two other uh, first aid workers with us. And so, you know, saw all kinds of interesting things. So that's how I started in ICU, airport nurse, seeing planes being diverted uh, from, because Lisboa is the first airport off the Atlantic, on that side of the Atlantic. So you'd see all kinds of interesting things coming in. And an airport's like a mini city. It's got its own prison. Okay, I, we could talk about it for hours. I, it was very, very enjoyable. And then I went to London, worked again at a in another ICU, again a heart and lung center, but this time in pediatrics. So I went from adults to pediatric ICU, and found my way to Australia, where again I worked at a big tertiary hospital, which was quite different. It wasn't just surgical patients anymore. So it was medical and surgical. And so there's quite a difference in acuity there. But look, as far as aspirations, I, I wanted to be a nurse, wanted to look after people, see the world. Never thought I'd end up working in systems. 
that's kind of me in a nutshell in pre-systems if we want to break it like that. Yeah, yeah, nice. And and just touch on that then. What's the difference between like surgical and medical? Just so for listeners understand. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> this is a problem that we also have in projects, which is people that come from healthcare forget that not everyone lives and breathes healthcare. So when you work in a surgical ICU, it means that patients that get admitted come from an operating theater. So most of the times they're planned surgical operations. So, you know, you're at home, you go to the hospital, you have surgery. Most of the times you get better, you go home. There will also be unplanned surgeries for emergency cases. Uh, but for the most part, the outcome is the happy part. People come in, you mend them, off they go, especially with children, because they're working in a cardiac ICU for kids, the, the pathologies you see are quite different. So you're looking at congenital heart problems. So a lot of this is picked up during pregnancy or might be picked up straight after birth. And then some of the surgeries might be staged throughout the person's life. So they might come in the beginning, you know, as a baby. And then a few years later, they have another operation. Then a few years later, have another operation. But I guess the message is most of the time, the outcome is positive. Whereas in a medical ICU, uh, which, I mean, it won't just be medical, you also have surgical patients. But what that means is, you know, you'll have your trauma patients, you will have, you know, the typical presentation through the kids on a quad bike, something that seems to happen quite a fair bit in Australia, or drownings, unfortunately, that just things that unforeseen, unplanned, and, you know, more traumatic in a way, and also with less positive outcomes. So that there's, there's, there's a big distinction there. It's one that I'd never given much thought to until I started working in an ICU like that. In Australia, there are, at least in New South Wales, the number of tertiary pediatric ICUs and a tertiary hospital is a hospital that has most of the specialties or a lot of specialties. So it's where all patients go to from anywhere in the state. You'll end up seeing you know, if, if something bad serious happens to a child under 18 years of age, they would end up in the ICU I was working in. Yeah, and I think that's a really important distinction to make, right? Because if people don't understand that, like, I, I mean, any any hospital role, any nursing role is going to be stressful, but I think like that just turns the needle, right, in terms of how stressful that could be. And like, I, I think, yeah, it's important for people to understand that was what you were experiencing in, in towards the tail end of your nursing career. And um, how do you prepare, like, is there, do you get prep like is there coaching counseling like to make that switch from you know most of these cases are going to be successful to you don't know what you're going into each day like you you like that must be a really mentally draining thing every day going in i, I don't want to portray it in a negative way like i'll say that most of the outcomes are still positive it's just there is a high percentage of bad outcomes but how do you prepare well, there's uh team debriefs when uh, when things don't go well, uh, the team gets together. Everyone that was involved in the care of that patient gets together. There's a multidisciplinary team review. People are encouraged to go in and seek, um, I forgot the correct naming, but basically counseling provided by your employer. But, you know, it's such a fast paced environment. It's such a fast paced job that that's a bit secondary. So you kind of, build your resilience, you talk to your coworkers, you do the work you need to do, but there's no specific formal training per se, if that's the question. It's just something you develop on the job. 
Which seems crazy, doesn't it? Like to to think like I mean, it's uh, I can only imagine what it's like to work in that kind of environment. And I've seen um, seen these programs and books around like a, a a junior doctor and stuff, and how how much they work. Like they really don't get the time to to make sure they're okay, right? It's all about like caring for the patient, caring for the person in front of them. And then I can imagine something doesn't go well, and then you're you're kind of straight back into it, right? You're another patient's coming in, and and you kind of have to put that behind you and move on to the next one it must be just so hard to like decompress at the end of the day and be like now i need to kind of think of myself yes and i think especially for junior doctors around the world unfortunately it's you know i saw it firsthand it it, it just slammed i mean we can go really deep here and it's a society problem right we don't value the most meaningful professions as they should be which you know i don't know if this is the direction you wanted the podcast to go in but you compartmentalize right at the end of the day it's a job you do the job and you try to disconnect as much as you can you build your resilience up you talk to your colleagues that go through the same as you you have shared experiences there's great camaraderie in especially if you there's different ways of working um in portugal we worked in teams, so I always worked with the same people. We had the same roster, and like it, it, they become your your family. It's the bonds you have are unbelievable. Or you can work with different people all the time, which is more the way it is in the UK and in Australia. But you work with everyone so often that you you establish really great personal bonds, and then people help you get through things. And most people are caring personalities because that's why they go into that line of work we look after each other i guess it's you know that, that all needs to be a big long cliche but it's it really is like that so what what did you what did you love about nursing and what was it that made you want to move out of that space look i really love the human element uh, i really love that i could feel i was making a difference to someone's life and i could help them in a really vulnerable time especially when I was in pediatric ICU, you're caring for for the baby or the child, but in the beginning, you know, they're hooked up to machines that are maintaining them alive. So you're really providing support to the family, to the parents, and that's really powerful. People coming to you and saying, you know, thank you, you made a huge difference. That's that's the kind of stuff that is priceless. Uh, I left the UK in 2013 and... There's a patient I looked after back then that still emails me. We email each other every year, a couple of times a year. And ICU is very different, right, from other nursing. And ICU nurses have a bit of a bee in their bonnet because it's such a specialized field. You know, you're looking after all these complex machines. They're really specialized functions. By the end of my nursing days, I was looking after a machine which is called an extracorporeal membrane oxygenator, which is basically a machine that replaces someone's heart. So you, you take the bloody out, the blood out of someone's body, goes into this machine, gets oxygenated, and the machine pumps it back in. When you're in an intensive care unit, you're there because you need one-on-one nursing. So you need one person to look after you 24 hours a day. When someone is being supported by ECMO, you need two nurses to look after one person. So that was another part that really appealed to me was that technical challenge, knowing that I could do something that was so high end and so specialized and getting better at it that you kind of get hooked onto that. But to go back to my story that I was going to start to, to tell, like that was one of the things that first attracted it to me to 
to nursing and to ICU nursing in specific. But then what I found out, and that's where this story is going, is that that kind of all just fades into the background. Like it, It's like when you're playing a game and you really want to get to a level and you level up and you're happy and it's like, oh, well, I've done it now, right? What remained were the human connections. So this, this particular patient, without saying too much, but I was actually away when he was in his acute phase and he was really, really, really unwell. I, this boy was in theater for over 24 hours with an open chest, having heart surgery for over a day, right? Like it's, it's the kind of stuff that rarely happens. And he, the prognosis wasn't very positive, uh, but he came around, he fought, he was in ICU. By the time I came back, I'd been away for a month and he was admitted pretty much when I left for holidays. And when I came back, this boy had been in there for four weeks. And when you get onto shift, there's a handover. You hear about all the patients and then the nurse in charge will tell you, okay, here's your patient. And I was handed over that boy, the care of that boy. But by that time, he was coming off all the machines. He'd taken a turn. You know, we could see him going home maybe in three, four months, but he, he was on the mend. It wasn't challenging in the sense that, oh my gosh, he's got all of these machines I need to look after. But what happened was that we developed this really meaningful connection to the point that he requested me by name to look after him. And so I was looking after him when he didn't need one-on-one -on -one nursing anymore. He was fine. I was watching Kikas with him at midnight. You know, <laughs> that's what we were doing. But that's what I remember, right? So it's, it's those connections that are unique, you know, like where would you leave something like this? And knowing that I helped him in such a hard part of his life to him and his family, that's, it's just priceless. And when, as when I was starting out, maybe I would have thought, oh, well, it's just another patient ready to go to the ward. It's going to be an easy shift. So there's not much work, you know, like not much technical stuff to do, but it's in those moments that in hindsight, you realize this is why I went into nursing and this is why I did this. That covers the first part around what you loved about it. And like, I can completely understand that. Yeah. Like, and, and that's now a lifelong relationship, right? That you have and it's incredible. And, and the relationship that you, you, you know, obviously no one wants to be in that situation, but you, you've, you've found in, in a really challenging situation for the guy. And obviously, yeah, he, he sees you as someone that's got him to where he is now, which is incredible. Yeah. He's now doing stand up comedy in London. No way. Have you gone to see him? <laughs> I've seen some of his YouTube clips. Yeah. Wow. So my next question was around like, what, what was it that made you want to, to leave the profession behind? I was burnt out, to be honest. I was really, by the end of it, I was, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I think it was when, uh, so when I left, I left London to come to Australia with my partner who's Australian and we went on a long trip on the way here and on a six month trip and Lots of thinking, is this what I still want to do? Do I want to try something else? I knew that one of my good friends in the UK had moved into a clinical applications role. And I thought maybe that's something I could do. It was just kind of in the back of my mind. But yeah, really, when I came to Australia and started in that medical ICU we were talking about before, and I saw all of these, I feel like there's no better word for these, all these sad cases, it really took a toll on me and, and I... I, I decided I, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I just want something different. I want to go and try. But at the same time, I wanted to keep my skills useful 
Yeah, you didn't want to leave the field completely, right? You wanted to kind of utilize the the experience that you had and and carry on adding value, but in a different way. So how did the opportunity to come up to move into systems? Like I can imagine lots of people would have wanted to do that. How did you kind of get that opportunity? I looked. (laughs) I looked for months. (laughs) So I was lucky in the sense that one of my good friends who was a nurse went through a similar experience. He was an ICU nurse, lovely guy from the north of England, and he participated in a project for a clinical information system implementation at Great Ormond Street. And this was a Philips, Philips clinical information system implementation. And he then was basically poached by Philips, and he's still at Philips 11 years later, now in the US. So I knew there were roles, and being already in the system, I thought, well, the easiest way for me is to look for a role within the hospital system that is looking for someone with similar skills to me because I'm using clinical information systems like I was back in the UK, like my friend was. Someone has to maintain these systems and implement them. So I just went on the New South Wales Health Jobs website and I looked for a role that met that criteria. It took me a while. I applied for a couple of roles, but lots of them required previous experience, either as, you know, a project officer or a BA or some, some sort of relevant experience. And then by luck, I found something that was tailor made for me. It was a role where the prerequisite was to be a registered nurse. So I covered the first one. Second one was you needed to be an ICU nurse. That was fine. And the third one, which was desirable, but not essential, was to have used the clinical information system that I used in the UK. So I applied and I got the role. And that's, that's when I moved into, into clinical information systems. Now it's, um, it was very much like the IT crowd. There was two <laughs> dudes in a basement, uh, doing system administration in what was at some point in time, the largest ICU in the Southern Hemisphere. It's not anymore, but it's a very big ICU in Sydney. And we did everything. It was so interesting. I went from on a Friday working in a pediatric ICU in the outskirts of Sydney to being in the center of Sydney in an ICU being asked, how do I print this document? It was in a way that people didn't go to the IT department with problems. They came to us. Although we were the clinical information system admin, we were meant to maintain this application and configure it and keep it going. We did everything. We patched cables in the room. We repaired the computers. We changed hard drives. I turned computers on because they were off and people couldn't use them. That was my first role. And I learned so much in that role because I worked with someone that was very knowledgeable, was also a nurse. We had the same background. And because that clinical information system was only used in ICU. It was kind of left alone by the wider IT department of the organization. So it was kind of its own little rogue operation. So we did everything. We did integration, we did system config. It, it was great. Were there things that you struggled to pick up with that transition? Like, the, the, like the, how did you find the techie stuff? I always liked computers. I always liked IT. Some stuff... It was easy because it was like the kind of stuff that, you know, it's level one support that was pretty simple. Turn it off and turn it back on again. 
you know, the amount of times that worked was unbelievable. <laughs> Sometimes all you had to do was turn it on. And you think, how can you look after a patient that needs four different machines to be alive, but you can't turn your computer on? <laughs> <laughs> but um, there were easy parts like that, right? But then there was stuff like learning how to query a SQL database to get data out. Like that was challenging. That was hard. I had no formal training in relational databases or coding or anything. So it was a steep learning curve, learning, but I had a good mentor and I was, I was really lucky. So a lot of the stuff that I've learned then is the foundation to what I do now and, and what I've been doing ever since. Nice. What was Salesforce? What was, uh, what was it to you? How did you come across it? Yeah, so Salesforce comes pretty late in the picture for me. So I worked in digital health following this IT crowd role, for lack of a better way to describe it, for nine years. And I did different things, implementations of large projects. You know, I moved on and did different things, worked in the integration team. Maybe you don't know what an EMR is, but it's an electronic medical record. And it's the big system that is used for care provision in an inpatient setting, so in a hospital. EMRs are big solutions, not Salesforce. Salesforce, not an EMR, but I was in implementing the first EMR module for maternity in New South Wales. And as part of that implementation, uh, the CIO of the local health district where I worked at was interesting, interested in establishing a digital front door for the institution. One of the most logical use cases to do that in a hospital setting is women's and babies, because there's lots of appointments. Women are usually well, you know, if they need an appointment, it's routine. So they targeted women's and babies, and there was a proof of concept put together by a consulting firm for the women's and babies department on the tail end of the project I was in. So that was my first exposure to Salesforce, and then they showcased what it could do, and I thought that was quite interesting. But at the same time, in parallel, one of my good friends was working at Salesforce. They worked there for many years. We're part of the same book club. We see each other regularly on social occasions. And it would be, you know, a book club meeting would be a nurse, a teacher, a physio, a builder, and then this Salesforce guy. And all he kept going on about was Salesforce, how great Salesforce was, and you guys need to look into Salesforce. And I was like, I mean, just that's enough of your Salesforce thing. So the two things converge, right? So I saw this this showcase of a digital front door and then it clicked that, oh, this is the same product that my friend keeps talking about and he keeps saying how great it is. And to be honest, I thought it was a bit weird to have a product in a hospital which the keyword is sales. I just find it odd. And then I went to look into it basically. So that was my first exposure. Then I talked to my friend and I said, look, what can you tell me more about this? He pointed me to Trailhead and being a trailblazer, all that, all that jazz. And I started looking into it and, and I could really see the potential for the use cases in healthcare. And that's when I started getting quite interested in it. And then uh, your next move was into to Maverick, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So once I started looking at Salesforce as a possibility, we were, we'd just come out of COVID. So if you think, you know, I worked in an office, IT crowd, then do a two-year project, big implementation, very exciting, that goes live. And then I stayed on um, as the admin for that module, which was okay, slower pace. And then COVID happened. And then that was just like unbelievable. You know, I wasn't nursing. I wasn't at the front line. I can't say I will, because I wasn't. My partner was, she's a nurse and she was going to work when everyone was stuck at home. But 
just the, the speed, it was like a project on steroids, you know, like projects in healthcare are really slow and they go two, three, four years. We we're being asked by the minister to deploy something next Monday, you know, and this, this was Wednesday. And we're talking about screening people at the airport putting up COVID clinics anyway. So then as I heard of Salesforce, we'd come out of COVID, rhythm goes down and I was like, I'm kind of looking for a new challenge. So the opportunities in Salesforce and I looked in healthcare and I saw that Maverick was doing some really, really interesting work in healthcare in Australia. I saw that they were putting together an EMR for one of their clients based on Salesforce. And I thought, wow, this is innovation to the next level. They're either crazy or super ambitious and I want to join them. And so I, I, yeah, I reached out to them and that's where I am now. I'm a digital health consultant at, at Maverick. Or a bit of both, crazy and ambitious. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they're real disruptors. I, it's the, I, I love working at Maverick. It's been a great experience. Yeah, they're a great bunch. I guess like you, you've now gone into consulting, which probably um, is a bit different from being like an internal IT person within the division. Have you been able to lean on soft skills that you had from your nursing days, even more so now in consulting than you were in your IT um, customer-facing day-to-day support role? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say more so because this was part of my challenge when I tried joining the Salesforce world was I couldn't explain what I did because I didn't have the right words, but I was basically an internal functional consultant. That's what I was, right? But instead of now I'm on the other side, so I was on the client side, I'm on the consulting side, but I find that the, the, the soft skills for nursing were useful in both scenarios, but you're right, maybe even more so now, because at the time when I was looking at trend coming across to work in, in, in digital health and clinical information systems, I was thinking, how am I going to, you know, I've spent eight years honing these skills. I can do all of this technical stuff. How is this going to help me in any other way? This is only useful for looking after people in ICU. But as I've been doing this, and even more when I moved into Maverick, you realize that the soft skills are the same. And the, the alignment is so great that sometimes you think, why aren't more people doing this? You know, critical thinking, a key element of nursing. You know, you need to make quick decisions, high pressure situations. You're continually assessing changing conditions, and then you need to prioritize. That's what you've been consultant, right? You have complex problems. You use your critical analysis and strategic thinking, and you develop solutions. Communication skills, right? As a nurse, most people wouldn't realize outside of the healthcare system, but as a nurse, you are kind of the center of the multidisciplinary healthcare team because you're the one who's always there with the patient. So everyone expects you to know everyone, everything about this patient back to front because, you know, the physio will come in, they'll do their thing, off they go. The doctors will come in, they'll look at the patient like, oh, yeah, do this, do that, off they go. But you're there all the time. So you develop your communication skills, not only with your coworkers, you always also talk to the families or the patients themselves, people from different economic and social backgrounds. Same thing with a consultant. You're talking to your stakeholders. You need to get complex problems across in a simple and effective way, which is what nurses do, right? They synthesize information or they simplify it down to a way that even a layperson can understand. Same thing. And then adaptability, like that nurses can work in your home. They can work in an ED. They can work in ICU. They can work in a virtual environment. 
Same thing with consultants, right? You might be working today in, in a home care project. Tomorrow, you might be working for an aged care organization. You might be working in a, in a virtual care platform. So many, I mean, in teamwork, I guess that's the last one I'd like to mention. It's just, I, I, I touched on this before. Being a nurse is being part of that team. There's a lot of parallels between the aviation industry and healthcare. There, we run simulations for emergency situations. It's a well-oiled machine. Everyone knows their place. You know who you can count on. You know who's going to do what. Same thing when you're implementing a project, right? You know your solution architect's going to do this. You know your technical architect's going to do that. You've got your consultant that's got their role to do what they need to do. You've got your PAs. Same thing. So, yeah, I think it's amazing how many soft skills are transferable and, and people don't realize or wouldn't think of it. But in hindsight, it makes complete sense. Do you think that perception in healthcare has changed? Like Salesforce, like the, the sales element, like is it now seen as a healthcare platform because of the introduction of things like health cloud? I think so. I, I think, yes, it has definitely helped. And I, I think what organizations are seeing now as health cloud is more mature because as you know, health cloud, been around since 2016 and leverage on service and sale cloud, but it's now its own product. And I think with the roadmap and all the investments they've made into the product, they're tailoring health cloud to solve a really big problem in healthcare, which is how do you bring all of these disconnected legacy systems into one meaningful view for your clinicians and your patients? And so I think health organizations are now realizing that Health Cloud has got that, the ability to do that, especially if paired with MuleSoft. And they're not trying to replace existing systems with Health Cloud, but they are, they're wanting to create a real engagement layer with Health Cloud and consolidate their existing systems to provide a seamless experience for clinicians, but also for patients, which is a really interesting paradigm shift because patients have not historically been seen as active agents in their own care, right? But that's that's changing. And I think Salesforce has a really huge strength to play here because they bring that person-centered application into healthcare at the time that that paradigm shift is happening. I know you mentioned like uh, Maverick were, were creating, a, I think you said an EMR for a, an organization, but is what's the bread and butter use case of health cloud? Is it for hospitals? Is it for private health practices, um, aged care? Like where, where does it kind of fit best? That's a really hard question, Ben. <laughs> I think it fits in a lot of different use cases and it's hard to say which one is best. If I can talk about Maverick again and the work we've done, we've had a great use case where we've built a referral management system on Health Cloud. If you don't work in healthcare, you won't be aware of this fact. Healthcare is still stuck in the 90s. Like healthcare, clinical information systems are legacy applications that take years to evolve. They're not necessarily person centered. We're still talking about paper referrals. We're talking about faxes. We're talking point-to-point -point integration. And the referral management system we built on Health Cloud eliminated fax referrals for a state in Australia. And so what that means is that GPs, when they're referring their patients to a specialist in a tertiary hospital, instead of having to pick up a piece of paper or complete a form and then fax it through, they now complete the digital referral off it grows across MuleSoft, 
lands into health cloud and it gets triaged. That's one use case, connecting different parts of the healthcare system and acting as the bridge in between. But then obviously, like you said, aged care, home health, they're a great fit because you leverage service, service cloud, field service lightning. You know, you've got clinicians going to people's homes that need to be able to do their work on a mobile device, on the go, need to schedule their appointments, need route optimization. You need to manage funds. So HKS sector as well, you know, there's a lot of um, funding requirements for NDIS, HKS. This can all be managed on platform really well. And then the integration side of things. I know the health cloud is huge, but MuleSoft really unlocks that power. And MuleSoft has its own healthcare accelerator. So I would say digital care platforms that enable clinicians to provide care in the home or community care, that enable them to schedule those appointments and enable them to document that service delivery and plan the care because Health Cloud has got care planning capabilities as well that can automate a lot of the manual steps that clinicians do. And as it, as it evolves, like Mavericks and lots of IP around forms, so bringing digitizing forms into the platform, bringing the patient into the care, right? So if you want a digital front door, that's another great huge case. Use case is you want to surface forms or surveys to your patient for them to complete and maybe potentially schedule themselves in as well. The world's your voice if you want to use Health Cloud, I think. It, you, you can use it in a variety of ways. It's really hard to pinpoint one use case, I think. But yeah, being a, an engagement layer that sits on top of your existing systems to unlock all that potential and, and bring a, a single patient view to your clinicians is really what it's meant to do. Your time has been spent working on healthcare projects in the Salesforce space. When you see challenges with the project, is it from from your understanding of implementing into you know a, a company that manufactures widgets, as an example, the projects fall down at the same spaces or is, are there added complexities to a healthcare project that you might not see in other industries? Well, I'm a bit biased, but I think there are, <laughs> there are definitely their own complexities. And digital maturity is a problem of the organizations, right? We're, talking, we're not talking about banking, we're not talking about insurance, you know, not commerce. People are not doing healthcare on their phones. They're not. People are used to buying something on their phone, paying their bills on their phone, but you don't get that experience in healthcare. So you've got organizations that are still growing and lack that maturity and therefore can't provide the most relevant input or, or the input that companies would need to implement the solution because it's an area where and this goes both ways, right? It's the digital maturity of the client, but I think it's also the fact that in the tech world, it's not commonly understood that healthcare is its own beast. It's got its own language. It's got its own set of requirements that are non-negotiable and that can really make or break a project. And that to a tech person, it might seem, oh, but that's fine. Who cares about that? But if you talk to an SME that works in a hospital, they'll say, no, we're not going live without this because this can kill someone. And I think that's the complexity is that disconnect between the tech world and the clients, the, the healthcare organizations that makes it hard to be on the same page and then slows everything down. It's a really slow regulated industry with it, its own integration protocols. For example, you know, you can't just get someone that knows 
APRs to work in healthcare. You need to know HL7, you need to know FHIR, you need to understand what you're integrating to. So it's a really niche area. And I feel like not everyone goes in with their eyes wide open. And my, my previous CIO, one of his one of his big battles was how can we empower the next generation of digital health experts? And, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think if you don't have someone like me on a project, you're going to have these workshops where your client is telling you, I need this. And on the other side, they understand, oh, they want potatoes, but actually what they really, really want is carrots. And they only understand at the end when the client finally sees it, right? Because they don't have that maturity to to understand, ah, oh, this is what I'm going to get. No, they only only when they see it. And I guess this is with every project, but there's added complexities for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I was going to say, I think like, obviously, not everyone listening to this is going to come from a healthcare background, right? And I think obviously, yeah, there are complexities specific to healthcare, but to give people comfort, right, that, you know, they might have worked in retail for 10 years, or they might have worked in real estate or aviation, like, how, how much comfort do you see your experience giving to a stakeholder on a project when you walk in and you understand their domain? Oh, it's invalid. Like it's, there's no amount that I can assign to it <laughs> because it, it's night and day, right? I've, I've worked on projects where it was just tech people and it was so frustrating because we felt as the client that we weren't being heard. And as soon as they brought a clinician on their side, things just changed instantly. So I think it's not because you don't have experience in healthcare that you can't work in healthcare projects. You definitely can. But I feel like you need someone with a similar background to mine to help you understand the requirements, to, to help you understand the language, understand what people want. And that's really the key strength that I didn't realize I was bringing to Maverick. It was bridging that gap because for anyone in healthcare, it's like, what are you talking about? That's just second nature. And you don't, until you go to the other side, you don't realize how big the gap is in knowledge between the operational side of things you are trying to address and the systems you are building. And unfortunately, this is where projects fall apart. And if you talk to clinicians, most people don't really like digital health historically, and that's changing. But the reason is, like, it's very simple. Back in the 90s, when Cerner and other companies were introducing EMRs in the US, the main purpose of the EMRs wasn't for documenting clinical care, it was for billing. It was to collect data to allow billing in the US. Tell me one healthcare clinician that went to healthcare to be a data entry robot to enable billing. We've got solutions that aren't person-centered. This is not person-centered design. People are having to fold to these systems which are rigid. So that's the other thing that I feel I bring into a project is giving the understanding to the team of what are we trying to do here? You know, we don't want to bend people to what we're doing. We need to bend to them to give them a product that is useful. And what are the repercussions of not doing it? And yeah, how do you put a value to that? I think it's, it, it's very hard, but you see it straight away on clients. If someone is there or is not there, it's night and day. So until until you hear a story like yours, like, you know, I, I sometimes think I have stressful work days where I'm like, 
you know, someone someone accepts an offer and then they call me or they, they go missing and they, they don't call me and they, they've, they've got a counter offer and they stay where they are or, you know, a client's chasing me for something and I can't find the right person and I get stressed. And then I hear a story like yours. I'm like, how can I even say I get stressed? How can I even let that stress me out? Because what you've seen and done as part of your day job truly does burn you out, right? That That is like pure stress as life and death. How does IT now make you feel? Like, is it cruisy for you? Is it like, this is a walk in the park or, or do you still get stressed by things you see on a daily basis? You know, I still get stressed. I think, you know, stress is always relative and it, it also goes with your personality, right? If you're anxious, which I am a little bit, then you're always going to have an element of stress regardless of what you're doing. But yeah, it definitely puts things into perspective. Sometimes you just have to step away and think, well, I mean, no one's going to die here. But Unfortunately, in healthcare projects, you can't really say that because we do know that if we are, sometimes people are putting in digital solutions because unfortunately someone had an adverse outcome. And I know firsthand that if you don't display the correct information to the right person at the right time, that can have adverse outcomes. So that is always at the back of my mind and trying to explain that to non-clinicians is one of the first things I do if I'm working with someone. It's like, you know, maybe if you're building an app for a bank, someone will lose a lot of money. I mean, it's sad, I know, but no one's going to die, hopefully. Whereas here, you might put a box in the wrong place. Someone doesn't see it. Someone doesn't tick it. Someone doesn't know you're allergic to something and you get a really adverse outcome. So there's still an element of stress. It's different stress, right? Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad you, you agreed to come on because when we spoke, you know, I felt it was um, a story that needed to be shared. And I think a lot of people will, will be very interested in what you've gone through, the journey you've been on, and how you're still adding value to people um, with, within the health space, but in a completely different career. So yeah, well done for achieving everything you have. And, uh, and thanks again for being on the show. No, thank you, Ben. It's a real, real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.